Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The Oscars are going to go gender neutral. Well, they mean they haven't yet, but that's a prediction. Sam Mendes, filmmaker, is like the Oscars are going to go gender neutral. It's inevitable. We don't care. It means nothing to us. The Oscars provide us no value. It's supposed to be a celebration of film, and we're supposed to say, hey, that's, that's fun because we enjoy going to films. But they don't make films for us. So many actively despise you, me, and we when they're making their film. They make films for each other and yet somehow think that people are going to gladly, you know, spend their money. And you say to me, Tony, what in the world does this have to do with classified documents? And the answer is nothing. What does this have to do with China? Nothing. It has to do with the fact that the world is spinning. And there are going to be people in your life that aren't going to be speaking about Biden and classified documents at all. Not a one. It's never going to come up. But the Oscars are going to come up. The Oscars are going to come up. These cultural things are going to come up. And again, all I can do is let you know that it matters because through a connection to these cultural things, you can get into the other conversations. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. So good to be with you. 833, got Tony, 833-468-8669. These things matter. It matters that there's a story out there about a grand jury that refused to indict a fan of the Houston Astros. And you're like, okay, being a fan of the Houston Astros, that in and of itself should be a crime considering they cheat. But no, the fan threw a beer can at the parade, right? They win the World Series. Again, I assume the cheating. Oh, too soon? Yeah, too bad. And and and, and uh, the, the parade's going by. And Senator Ted Cruz, he's a senator from Texas. He's in one of the parade floats with his kids, with his daughters, and someone threw a beer at him. Not to him, at him. The uh, guy gets arrested, and a grand jury decides... Uh, that um, it, it, there, there's there's nothing to it. Because his lawyers argue, and I'm quoting, many generous, fun, semi-stupid, legendary moments have happened during Astro Championship parades. He was arrested and charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. And if you joke about this, let me throw a full beer at your head, let's see what happens. I mean, we can put it on. It could be a YouTube short. It'll be. It'll be classic. It'll be gold, Jerry. All right, maybe a little extreme because you'd now have to prove uh, that that this guy was trying to kill 
uh, Senator Cruz. But I think it's interesting that the argument is, look, it's a parade. People are sometimes derm. It's cool. Man, you will uh, you will accept a lot now, won't you? And certainly you're opening it up for others to do dumb things at parades. The world is happening. All around you. These little things. And you say to me, Tony. Tony, this is, this is not the important stuff. All right, fine. Important stuff. Representative Ocasio-Cortez wants lawmakers to extradite Bolsonaro, the former president of Brazil, because after all, he's personally responsible for the violence of his supporters who have stormed that nation's capital. Am I to believe that this is the important stuff? You've got, I think it's now over a thousand people, 1,500 people have been arrested as people have been uh, entering government buildings in Brasilia, their desire to overturn the election, that election happened over a month ago. Now we're hearing about uh, destruction of property, the defacing of art and historic objects, which of course I find disgusting, and riots need to be put down. Bolsonaro is in the United States seeking, I think, uh, uh, medical uh, help. The plan is to now extradite him because of something other people are doing? I don't know. I, I don't know how that is supposed to work. Don't know how you're supposed to do that. But it's good to know that the Democrats are well-focused. Or am I supposed to be focusing on, once again, Pete Buttigieg taking another government plane as opposed to flying commercial because he likes to travel in style? A vicious mother, isn't he? Well, depending on who you ask. Took a government-managed jet, as as reported, to New York. This was back in April for a radio interview and meetings and then to return to D.C. Why in the world did you not take a train? Why not take commercial? I mean, you're just the Secretary of Transportation. You're pretty, you're pretty down on the list. A lot of people have to die for you to uh, be able to be part of the 25th Amendment. Just saying, not happening. He took a Cessna Citation 560XL. So there's a possibility I need to uh, be in Houston in the beginning of February. And a couple people um, going, and I'm like, I don't know. How am I going to get there? I still have work to do. I got to do the shows. And then someone suggested flying private. Someone suggested flying private. Do you know how expensive it is to fly private? Let me tell you. I don't make TV money. I make radio money. By the way, the Citation XL uh, has a cabin volume of 370 cubic feet. It goes at a max speed of 496 miles an hour. The range is over 1,900 miles. 
I guess they could get you to Houston. Uh, I think the flight was like $25,000. I'm like, yeah, can't, can't do that. So what did it cost for, let's find out. What did it cost Buttigieg, let's see, private jet calculator. What did it cost Pete Buttigieg to uh, get himself from D.C. to New York? So he he, he, he left uh, D.C. Uh, was it D.C.A.? Or did I just put it in Washington, D.C.? Washington, D.C. And he, I was looking for a calculator. And he went to... Uh, New York City, uh, New York, and let's say you were going to do this. Uh, let's say you're going to do this uh, tomorrow. Just you know, and and it was just him. Oh no, this isn't going to be a calculator. This is going to be. Oh, they're going to send me a quote. I want a calculator. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I've got it right here. Um. Um. Yeah. Yeah. More than you've got. It's an outrageous amount of money. Why does Pete Buttigieg keep doing this? Why does he keep doing this? This isn't the first time. It's not going to be the last time. He doesn't care. It means nothing to him. This is the thing that got Tom Price, remember, former uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, under Trump, got him fired in four seconds. Four seconds. Got him fired. And yet this keeps happening. This isn't the first time. It's not the last time. And he's just... uh, He's just moving along. There are other things happening in the world, and that's why I brought it up. Oh, don't get me wrong. The classified documents matter greatly. Also mattering greatly, this report about war games showing that the U.S. could beat China and keep them from taking Taiwan, but the cost would be great. The question is, do you believe the report? I will break it down for you. Keep it right here. Find everything. TonyCats.locals.com. This is Tony Katz today. So what the hell is this madness about gas stoves? Tony Katz, that's me. Great to be with you. Tony Katz today. 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. The Consumer Product Safety Commission is considering a nationwide ban on gas stoves. I'm I'm not making that up. A nationwide ban on gas stoves because recent studies showed emissions from the devices can cause health and respiratory problems. Uh, no. Oh, God! According to Richard Trumka Jr., wasn't he like in charge of a union or was his dad in charge of a union uh, who is the commissioner of the Consumer Product Safety Board? This is a hidden hazard. Any option is on the table. Products that can't be made safe can be banned. Kiss off. 
There is not. I honestly, I swear to you, I hope you get an infestation of something with multiple legs in your ears. That's how much I despise you. And Kylan, we can agree. That was disgusting on my part. That was very disgusting. Groups, reports by groups including the American Chemical Society and the New York University Law School Institute for Policy Integrity found that gas stoves, which are used in about 40% of homes, emit pollutants like nitrogen dioxide, carbon monoxide, and a fine matter at levels deemed unsafe by the EPA. However, they allow me to make my stir fry perfectly. So, kiss off. Stop trying to save me. Every time you come out with one of these ideas, this is all I hear in my head. And now it's springtime for Hitler and Germany. Deutschland is happy and gay. You're awful, terrible people. Unserious. I want gas. I accept the risks for myself, for my wife, for my kids, and I don't give a damn if it makes you happy. I'm willing to fight about this. I'm talking about physically, in the streets, blood that pours onto the street in order to ensure that I can make my muffins the way I choose. Although I will admit we use a dual fuel oven because electric can sometimes give a more uh, all-around type of cooking. On the baking, I should say, right? When you bake with electric, you can sometimes get um, more, uh, what, what's, what's, everything's more normalized, right? You don't get the hot spots or anything else like that. But when we're talking about a cooktop, if you're cooking with electric, you're probably going to hell. All right, that's a little extreme. You may want to slow down, cats. Maybe that's all you've got. Me, I'm cooking with gas. And I have purposefully not purchased homes because you can't get gas. And I didn't want to have to bother with putting in um, uh, 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 propane. This is embarrassingly stupid. Only in the United States. I shouldn't say only in the United States. But it's embarrassing that in the United States, you can have people who actually want to go down this road. And this, this group... This radical organization, the Consumer Product Safety Commission, they could impose emission standards on the oven. So they can't ban it, but they'll make the emissions so that you can't make one in the U.S. Gas stoves are bad for our health. They cause asthma. Huh. Huh. I want a gas stove. And I want you to stop being my nanny. Understand this, government. I believe in a government that is small, that is focused. Article 1, Section 8 does its job. Everything else, leave me alone. I think you're a bunch of jerks. You're awful, awful people. You don't know that you're bad people? How, how at this stage of the game, do you not know... That you're bad people. But this whole place sucks. That's right, it sucks. You're the worst. Want nothing to do with you. Nothing at all. But you keep trying to interfere with our lives. That's why we have to vote different. These people need to be crushed.
crushed. Oh, they're just pure evil. Meanwhile, there's a story about China. And a, uh, a think tank did a war game simulation. What if China tried to invade Taiwan? What would happen? And what they found was that over there at the Center for Strategic and International Studies is that the U.S. could stop China from doing so. China would get defeated, but the U.S. military would be in just a horrific state. Two U.S. aircraft carriers would be sunk. You'd, a series of destroyers would be destroyed uh, in, in, in this fight. And, and as I, I posited on, on my morning show, I cannot tell you if this is real or if this is propaganda. As a, as a thing of propaganda, I don't mind it. Because it's not that the U.S. would, would have a decimated military at that time, specifically Navy, which is the problem we've been having for a decade because we don't have enough ships. You need 340 ships at sea. You need aircraft carriers. You need destroyers. You need these things, and we don't have enough of them. And we're not doing anything about it in any level of, of seriousness. The money has to be there for it. I don't care if some leftist wants one more program to worry about the sexuality of mice. We need a military, and I don't give a damn about the mice. Let them fornicate as they do, which, by the way, you're not going to hear that on any other radio show. You're welcome. You're, you're very, very welcome right there. We need, a, we need a Navy that can handle these things. So... What to take from this? Now, this also envisioned a Chinese invasion of Taiwan in 2026, which I think is a little uh, late in the game. One would assume it comes earlier than that. But 2026 is a U.S. election year. Do you feel that the president is weaker and being able to combat that? I would think he would need to be stronger to combat that. Neither here nor there. And what happens if it happens in 2024? So I don't know if this is legit or if this is nothing more than a propaganda piece to float out the, you guys don't really want to do this. Yeah, it's going to look bad for us. It's going to look worse for you. We're going to come back armed in a sling with a limp. You know what people are going to say? What does the other guy look like? Oh, that guy. Oh, he took it. He got wrecked. Paulie, you won't be seeing him no more. Not sure. Not sure. Then again, there's a whole conversation about the future of China anyway. We'll do that another time. National security implications for the classified documents found in Joe Biden's office. That's up next. I'm Tony Katz. Left you stay right swing the lines. So there are many directions in which you can take this revelation that Joe Biden had classified documents at his office at this Penn Biden Center that was partially uh, done with the University of Pennsylvania, even though it was in Washington, D.C. It's where he held an office for a couple years before he ran for president of the United States. And in that office, in some locked closet, he had classified information. Now, 
the locked closet. I don't know how it was locked. I don't know who had a key to the closet. The classified information, well, according to CNN, it was stuff that was supposed to be compartmentalized. It was supposed to be in a place where nobody could have access to it. And why would the then vice president have access to classified information? There are a numerous numbers of questions here. There is the legal side of this conversation, and I have spoken to lawyers about it, including William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. But then there is the national security conversation that must take place. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Victoria Coates joins us right now, Senior Research Fellow, International Affairs and National Security at the Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom with the Heritage Foundation, heritage.org. This is your ballywick. Now, you mostly focus, when we talk about national security on the Middle East, you focus on uh, North Africa, and you also uh, focus on the threat from the CCP, the the communist, the Chinese Communist Party. You have national security secrets, you or you have classified documents, and maybe they're national security secrets in the possession of the vice president. Just just off the quick, your take on that alone. Well, it's just it's it's incredibly careless. Uh, you know, my my main angle on this, which your listeners might not know is I was uh, Don Rumsfeld's director of research and his archivist for a number of years. And that's actually how I got my first security clearance because his papers were so sensitive. You couldn't, you could look at them, even the historic ones uh, without a clearance. So you know, these, these records are incredibly sensitive. They're covered by the Presidential Records Act, which means everything that you do in your official capacity has to be captured. Uh, which creates all sorts of problems with texting in the modern age, but that's another issue. And for the vice president, who has been, as president, very critical of others for their handling of classified material, not to understand that these things should not be loosely taken out of the skiffs of the West Wing uh, and the EEOB and taken to a private office, uh, is is really quite hypocritical and I think deserves a much, much closer look. You mentioned your work with the former uh, Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld. I was going to to get into that. Talk specifically about what you were doing in that capacity and the amount of of safeguards, security measures, uh, the, the checklist you would have to go through to ensure that classified documents stayed that way. Yeah, it's it's it is a laborious process, but but rightly so. This, this, these are our nation's most sensitive secrets. We need to keep them safe from the communist Chinese, among others. And Secretary Rumsfeld was, among many other things, a meticulous record keeper throughout his life. Uh, and the two biggest uh, archives for him were his tenures as Secretary of Defense, both uh, in the 70s and then after 2001. And there were both classified and unclassified versions of those tenures. We had them in digital form. Uh, and for the unclassified version, the secretary was so concerned that some kind of creep of classified material would have happened. If you go on rumsfeld.com and look at the archival material he released, each one of them has a stamp on it from the uh, declassification authority that that, that document is unclassified regardless of its marking. So that was the kind of measure he took to ensure 
that he could not be accused of this because, you know, quite frankly, we didn't know what DOD had put on all those CDs that they, that they gave us. It, it was so voluminous, it was impossible to go through it and establish for sure. So he created this kind of blanket system. So that can be done. Uh, you know, it, it obviously it's not without precedent. And I think, you know, that that's a very good example for folks going forward of how to manage this material. Talking to Victoria Coates, a senior research fellow, international affairs and national security at the Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom with the Heritage Foundation, heritage.org. So you know what you went through in order to keep uh, these uh, secret documents secret. In your view, how in the world does the vice president end up with anything in his closet? (laughs) Well, the vice president is, uh, at the designation of the president, an intelligence super user. So the sitting vice president generally has the highest degree of, of security clearance. Their office is a secure space. But that's where the stuff should stay. And, you know, when we, I was on the National Security Council staff, we had very clear protocols. And then the, the vice president has staffers who understand those protocols so that this just shouldn't happen. And the vice president, however, does not have the authority that the president has to declassify materials. And I understand that is the argument President Trump has made about the Mar-a-Lago materials is that, that he returned what he felt you know, might have drifted uh, at last April, but that he had declassified the other things. And, you know, he does have the authority to do that. So, you know, that can be adjudicated in a separate uh, a separate case, but the vice president does not. So there is no argument to be made that somehow Joe Biden as vice president could have declassified these materials. He would have had to submit them to a rigorous declassification review, which is going back to the Rumsfeld case, what we did with a number of his uh, materials that he wanted to use in support of his his memoir, uh, and we went through you know a years long process to get these things declassified. Obviously, Biden didn't do anything of the sort. So now we ask ourselves, what kind of damage uh, is or can be done? These these are questions that would seem to be uh, pretty rational. That they're in an office there at this Penn Biden Center, which was indeed financed. Uh, a lot of donations taken uh, from China, as has been reported by the New York Post, some fifty-four million dollars uh, worth. Are there specific kinds of documents that the vice president would have had access to, or could it have been quite literally? anything that got shoved in a folder, shoved in a box, and shoved supposedly in a closet? Well, it could have been anything, because as I said, he's a, he would have been a super user. He would have had access to everything. Uh, but one thing that I would be curious about is, is these very sensitive documents have numbers on them. There aren't very many copies. Sometimes there's only one copy. Uh, and those numbers are tracked. And if it's missing, the controlling agency, something like the CIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, should be hollering that they're missing a copy of their document. So if this was material from six, seven years ago, how did it go six, seven years with nobody noticing that it was missing? And to your point about the Biden Center uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, of which I'm also a proud graduate, Uh, it's very curious to me why they would have some of the most expensive office space in the world at 101 Constitution Avenue 
in Washington, D.C., when their stated mission is to work with Penn undergraduates on international affairs. I mean, for the vice president's, former vice president's personal use, this seems like an extraordinary use of funds. And especially if those funds are coming from foreign donors, I think that deserves a, a very close look. Now let's get into who looks for for secrets you know it sounds like something that is easily answered well everybody's spying on everybody everybody's looking for our information but we've now seen regardless of what you think of president trump he may have had classified documents in his possession true the president could declassify anything just by taking it saying it's declassified there's a lot of questions there the vice president in this case uh when joe biden was vice president he certainly doesn't have the argument that trump had but talk to me about what that back and forth is like. The, those people looking for information, those people looking to access top secret documents, uh, exactly how many organizations, how many countries are looking for this? Are they friend or are they foe or are they both? And what kind of damage can be done if this kind of information, secure information, is accessed? It, you know, here in the swamp of Washington, D.C., one assumes everybody's a spy and everybody is on the lookout for additional information because information is literally currency in this town. And certainly both friends and foes have a vested interest in trying to find out what the United States is doing, how it will affect their interests. You know, sometimes it's benign on the part of our friends, but we would hope that we would be sharing more information more fulsomely with them and they wouldn't need to spy on us. But you know, that's an individual country's decision. For our foes, it's a far more deadly game. Uh, they are trying to gain advantage uh, advantage over us. They are trying to undermine our sovereignty. They are trying to advance their interests uh, at our detriment. And so whatever the then vice president uh, had shoved in a box, you know, if you're looking at the most benign explanation that this was with sloppiness rather than malfeasance, uh, you know, that, that any of that information, once out of a, a official secure environment, is vulnerable. And I don't care what lock they had on this closet in some office building. Uh, the, the locking scenario that you go through in an act, actual secure uh, space is multi-layered and extremely cumbersome. So whatever this was, it wasn't going to be su- sufficient to truly protect the information. What should be what happens next? And we haven't even gotten into the idea that this information was found out November 2nd, six days before uh, the midterm elections. It's been two months. We don't know as of this moment that we're talking whether or not other Biden properties have been investigated by the FBI. Have they looked at other office space, looked at his homes? He might have other documents. I assume they did that with President Trump as well. Um what what comes next? Are you somebody in favor of charges uh, against um, uh, uh, the, the the president? Should the attorney general Merrick Garland be the guy in charge of this operation? Well, this the timing of this thing stinks to high heaven. Uh, they certainly knew in early November how incredibly newsworthy the Trump story had been from August on. So they knew this was going to be of great public interest, and they they kept it quiet as long as they could which is really shoddy. And I think the, the voters in the midterms deserve to know what what President Biden had done. 
And you raise the issue of other properties. Bear in mind, we also had that uh, shady office space in Wilmington uh, that was part of one of Hunter Biden's Chinese-related ex- uh, enterprises to which Joe Biden had access. He had a key that comes off of the laptop, the Hunter Biden laptop. So what, what might have drifted into that office and become vulnerable? You know, what's hanging out at the beach house in Delaware? You just have no idea. And I think you know, that those questions have to be answered. And the president needs to come clean with the country about what was in these, not details, obviously, we prefer to keep those quiet, but what, I mean, what sort of documents they were. When, when the Mar-a-Lago raid happened, people were squawking that, you know, nuclear secrets were in those documents. What, I mean, this needs to be answered and there needs to be equity between these two cases. Victoria Coates, C-O-A-T-E-S, Victoria Coates, on Twitter, Senior Research Fellow, International Affairs and National Security, Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. More to get to. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. So you got Biden and secret classified documents, and you've got the House of Representatives, Kevin McCarthy, he's the speaker, don't you know, uh, passing the bill to get the money back regarding the IRS, put an end to all these new IRS agents, uh, 221 to a 210 party line vote. That one, it's not going to go anywhere in the Senate, but they did their job in the House. It's why elections matter. Uh, candidate quality, well, it does matter, but you'd have to now be assuming that the political right doesn't understand quality and the political left does, when clearly uh, John Fetterman uh, and Katie Hobbs prove that the left doesn't care about candidate quality. Maybe that's not the biggest issue out there. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you guys. No, I think this is the story that's flying under the radar that needs to get itself back uh, on the radar. And it's a story of a traitor. There is a woman by the name of Hoda Muthana, M-U-T-H-A-N-A. She is from Alabama. And she decided that she supported ISIS. And so she left. She left and she heads out to go support ISIS. She supported the idea that Americans should join the Islamic State. I should really say the Islamic State and not ISIS. Uh, and and join uh, her and carry out attacks in the U.S. She suggested drive-by shootings and vehicle rammings, targeting gatherings for national holidays. She claims that the tweets were sent by IS supporters and not her. She was born in New Jersey, uh, raised in a conservative Muslim household in Hoover, Alabama, just outside Birmingham. Told her family she was going on a school trip instead by herself at 14. I think it was, how old she was she at 2014? I don't know. Flew to Turkey, crossed into Syria. She had taken tuition money. She was in college at the time. She wasn't 14. It was 2014. And she was taking tuition money and secretly cashing it. And now she wants to come back. The Trump administration maintained she was not a citizen and barred her from returning. The Obama administration canceled her citizenship in 2016. 
saying that her father was an accredited Yemeni diplomat at the time she was born, which meant that being born here wasn't enough. That's a very interesting... We'll have to put that on a back burner for now. So the Obama administration gets rid of her citizenship, and the Trump administration says she's not a citizen. Now she wants to come back. She's like, I'll sit in jail. I'll do whatever I have to do. She's 28 now. No. No, 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 no. You... I mean, I was going to make a joke about this. And, and there's no joke. You joined up with terrorists. You chose to do this. There's no coming back. There's no open home for you. You're going to have to figure it out. Well, Tony, we need to invite people back. We need to show them that we care. And that way, uh, it, it'll inspire others. No, it won't. Knowing that if you decide to side with the enemy, you are the enemy. That's the way it has to stand. Am I right? Am I wrong? Let me know on Twitter at Tony Katz. We've got more coming up. This is Tony Katz today.